another episode of Winning with AI. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Christopher Lind. Christopher is the VP and Chief Learning Officer at KenMed. You're an advisory board member at HR.com, as well as the Chief Learning Officer Exchange. And you're also host of the Future Focused podcast. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to, to add to that? And for a start, just thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. And I'm looking forward to chat about, I mean, I think you covered the big ones. That's kind of who I am and what I do. I think the other part that isn't as prominent is I'm actually a dad of seven and husband. So that also keeps me very occupied, but also is a large part of why I'm so passionate about what I do, because I'm thinking yeah. about the next generations, not just the people who are trying to deal with this right now, because the decisions we make today are actually going to have longstanding impact um, and I think that's why it's really important we think carefully about this. I think that's a yeah great opening topic. And as a dad myself, I'm a dad of two. <laughs> Find that hard okay. enough. Um, so <laughs> don't know how you cope, but um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, completely. I mean, with the we actually I, I chatted to someone on on one of the previous episodes about regulation, and one of the things they said around AI, but in general, we're at so many pivotal points for the next generation and decisions we make are going to impact them in the future. And I mean, that's a huge yes. topic. Um, we'll well, definitely... and I mean, if you think about what happened on that one, and again, just so you know, this is my style. So I love just chatting back and forth. But we, if you look at what's going on right now with social media and the U.S. Congress, social <laughs> media is kind of one of those tech advancements where you go, we really didn't think through the longer term implications of this. And now we're seeing a lot of these consequential effects that we were like, oh, well, what do we do about this and who do we hold responsible? And and we can't really undo it. And I think we're at that same stage now with AI where we actually have a unique opportunity to go, hey, let's not repeat the same mistakes. We have a history of repeating when it comes to technological innovations. Absolutely. And I think it's probably, I don't know, would you agree that it was potentially due to some maybe naivety around the, I think, ability and influence tech could have? Yeah, I mean... You know, I think depending on the discussion, you'll see people that are throwing fingers one way or the other. Big tech's pointing at, you know, parents going, well, you need to parent your children. Parents are looking at big tech going, well, it's your fault because you put this tech in their hands. And I think the story is a lot more complicated. I mean, yeah. I think back to it, you know, social media really started trying to solve a real problem, which was to connect people outside mm -hmm. their direct. I mean, it really was intended, I think, to do a social good. But again, to your point, naivete and just not realizing like, oh, wow, a like button could cause depression in an entire, yeah. like who would have ever predicted that kind of stuff? I mean, I think had we spent a little more time and maybe moved a little bit slower, I suppose, but I guarantee back when Facebook started up, they weren't thinking people would make a career out of just posting videos of themselves living their life. I mean, I don't think anybody yeah. ever thought, hey, this is where this is going to go. But it did. Yeah. And it was a, probably quite a fundamental shift in the way we probably interacted in society as a whole. So I For sure. completely agree. And I, I do feel like, I think, it's, like you say, it, it, it's not a black and white argument. It's gray. Um, like most arguments, yeah. there's two sides. Of yes. There's blame on, on potentially both sides, uh, I think. And also... Yeah, moving quickly, we could have probably moved slower, had more education around it, and put some safeguards up. Um, would that would it have been born the same? Would it be what it is today if we'd done that? Don't don't know. 
But, uh, well, it's in hindsight, it's always 2020. So it's always yeah. easier to look back and go, well, we should have done this or we should have done it. But you're like, well, but in that moment, we didn't know what we know now. So were we yeah. making the best decisions we knew how to make at the time? And I think that's where we are right now with AI, where it's like, well, are, are we really making the best decisions we can with the information we have? And maybe do we need to slow down a little bit? Yeah, which a lot of leaders and businesses are calling for at the moment, which is quite a, an interesting point. And with yeah. AI, so one thing I'm, I'm keen to start asking everyone who joins is just as yeah. a kickoff kind of questions to gauge, how are you using AI? I'd say, you know, it's, we talk a lot of B2B stuff, but just in life and in kind of business, because I think it's important that, well, personally for me, I use it across a hybrid. I don't don't have that separation that I think you used to. No, I don't. <laughs> so either. that's why, yeah. So how do you how are you using it at the moment? I mean, it's funny when people say, "How are you using AI?" Because when I think about it, we've been using AI since like computers came out. So I mean, I've been using AI right. to do internet searches since the search engine was invented, type of a thing. So I mean, I guess in some senses, we've been using it for as long as I can remember. But I think going back to some of the more what maybe a lot of people are thinking of is generative AI and kind of this recent boom in generative AI for that. And I look at that and I really see it as almost an assistant, an intern, a really, I call it my really brilliant intern, where I, like that. I wouldn't trust it. I wouldn't trust it to just go do things on its own. Just like when I've had interns or you know people who've interned with me, I wouldn't just go, hey, go put together a board presentation for me and yeah. then just get in front of the board and go, I don't know what this is. I don't know. Here's the, I would never do that. But would I use something as an extra set of arms and legs? Absolutely. But even from a practical standpoint, like I said, I've got seven kids and a wife. You can imagine what trying to make meals is like. And so yeah. even just simple things of like, here's what's in the cabinet what recipes could we make with this in 30 minutes and have it go, uh, you know, he here's some options with that and go, eh, you know what, that actually sounds pretty good so that we're just not having to think about some of those things. Um, I use it as a personal coach, all of my content, I get the transcripts from it and I upload yeah. it. And then I ask it questions about what could I have done differently? How would I represent myself? How did I come across in that pot? Are there things that I should change in the way I, you know, interact with people? Hmm. So there's lots of different ways that I'm always looking at it to kind of look at, you know, improving things. But the biggest thing is being in the driver's seat of it and yeah. not just kind of like letting it run off on its own. And completely dictate and do its own thing. And it's, it's a really interesting use case that actually, um, being a coach as well. And I love the analogy of the intern going off because it absolutely at the moment, and I'm sure we'll get to a stage and we've talked about like future AI and things like that before, but today um, from a generative AI and chat GPT, for example, or Bard, or, which has turned to Gemini, um, whichever yep. use case you use, there is a degree if it comes back and it's, it's I don't know if this is a good example, but I feel like, like an intern, they'll do it and probably do a good job, but they don't have the experience. And the AI at the moment might have all that experience, but doesn't have context. So it's almost uh, something yes. you pick up with with experiences, the context of things. Well, and and I don't know that AI will ever get to a point where it really truly understands context. And I think that's a role that we'll have to stay heavily involved in. But I think the other thing 
that's really important about this is as long as what we're having AI do involves people, you have to think about the accountability piece. And people are mm. never going to be okay with saying, well, the AI did it. Somebody's going to be held accountable. And people are not going to be able to say, well, just hold the AI accountable. Somebody's going to say, right, but somebody needs to be accountable for allowing yeah. that decision, for letting that thing to happen, to not having critical. And I don't know that people will ever be comfortable with just going, well, blame the machine because that just feels like a cop out. It's like, yeah, what? Like, One's not. No. So I think, yeah. I think so long as people are involved with what it's doing, there's going to have to be people ultimately accountable for what it ends up doing. Yeah. Um, there has to be because uh, yeah, unless it got to a stage where it's making its complete own decisions, but I think you've got a whole different regulation and, and ethics and stuff that would have to be considered when you get to that stage. But someone like today, for example, if you posted, you like you said, you look at transcripts, you you use it for coaching. If you did it for some posts through it, you you definitely click the post button today. There's a, a certain point where you have to say whether that's physical or not, but you're saying yes to that going out on behalf of you with your name on it. So there's got to be some And I've of, seen instances where this goes really wrong, where people just don't think anymore. And they're like, well, it wrote the post. I've just automated it posting. And that's a very simple example. But all of a sudden it says something that you go, would you have actually been okay with saying that? And it's like, well, no, but people don't let you go. Oh, well, that was my AI bot. I didn't really, it's like, well, but you posted it on your account through. So you are actually authorizing that. But I mean, even look at what's going on with autonomous cars. When an autonomous car crashes into something, if it was a person behind the wheel, people are more willing to go, okay, you know, they were distracted, you know, accidents happen. Yeah. But nobody's like, well, the AI slammed the car into the interstate and killed three people. Well, you know, accidents happen. Yeah. No, people are like, well, how did, how did this happen? How do we make sure that that never happens? And I think that just shows we are so not at a point where we're truly ready to hand over the reins to anyone and anybody who does it's, it will come back to bite you big time. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely with today's AI. And I think, yeah, the, I mean, the car examples, a great one, which is why if they bring more legislation around having someone behind the wheel <laughs> and it's the same probably from, you know, probably actually it's a really good way of linking the two the business world if, if someone's behind the wheel still even if you're letting things happen in front of you the post goes out the car crashes you you had that chance to intervene and stop it and i think that's probably where it's a good place for now to put where the line could be <laughs> um yeah. and what about it work then do you use any kind of ai to support what you do at, at chemmed yeah. So with uh, ChenMed, you know, my teams and I, as you can imagine, as somebody who's like <laughs> messing with this stuff all the time, I'm a big advocate of it, you know, internally to try and figure out how can we use it. Now, for me, I tend to very much be an experimenter. So with my teams, <clears throat> you know, I do a lot of stuff where I'm like, let's see what it can do and let's see if it's actually adding value to it. But I think one of the things that I would add that's been really important is I spent the last several years optimizing my team and the work they do and all of our operational processes. Because I've just seen, because again, AI didn't come out in 2022. 
I've seen it and used it in many different contexts. And the problem is if you throw AI at, at a broken or dysfunctional process, it just accelerates and makes it worse. So knowing where things were going, we've actually spent a lot of time optimizing things. So now as generative AI took off, we started going, okay, if this is our process, where can we naturally bifurcate what people should be doing, where tech should be doing? So like as a learning leader, it's is it helping us in generating some of our content? Sure. Mm -hmm. Are we using it to help um, you know create opportunities for more action-based learning where it's like, well, we can't necessarily oversee everybody but AI can, and then again, having a human decision point overlooking, okay, what kind of feedback are we getting and things like that? How do we personalize it? So yeah, I mean, we're we're constantly looking at different tools and tech for streamlining things. But I think the other thing that has been a huge point for me, and even in the industry I've pushed back against, is some people get really excited about AI's ability to make us faster and more efficient, yep. which is good. But I was actually just on a panel two weeks ago and somebody said, you know, what's really great about this is now a course that used to take three months to make, we can make in a week. And I said, that is the worst. I would never say that publicly ever because a course that took three months to make maybe should take two months now, but it where 80% of the time used to be spent on generating the content and getting yeah. the imagery per and doing all these other things. Now you should be spending that time doing experience design and understanding your audience and understanding the measurements. So instead of just compressing everything and going, Hey, now we can create a lot more crap so yeah. much faster. Instead, we should be going, well, now let's increase the quality. And yeah, we may gain some efficiencies in there, but let's not just say faster and better is the best way to do it. It's I'm better. like, no, absolutely not. No, I think the drive <laughs> was driving efficiency, but I mean that is that's a huge. I can't off the top of my head figure out percentage wise, but that's a huge drop in in time based on the course. Then, and that feels like there's two parts of it for me. It's is it being checked enough instantly? Because I think right. AI, and we talk about it, and it's about having that serum where like okay, now I can speed it up, and I agree, like three months to two months, especially sure. for the first step, seems logical, and then. Off the back of that is the content quality, like the, you know that quality score still the same, but then maybe they need that extra month to be actually how do we differentiate the course? <laughs> I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but this is one thing with especially generative AI from a, a content point of view. It's increased the volume of content significantly across sure. I'd say every industry and function, but quality potentially isn't always controlled and if everyone's doing that how do how do you differentiate yourself well and i think that's where in my opinion and this has been this way for a long time content is so ubiquitous trying to differentiate based on content is kind of foolish and i'm not necessarily always popular in my industry for talking about this because my industry often is known for well we generate the best content and i'm like Honestly, I can get an AI bot that can generate content just as good as you, and it can do it in a fraction of the time. But I think this goes back to where we can be thinking about how can we be using generative AI and other technologies to say, what are we not doing today? Because we either don't have the time, the capacity, or the capability that now by having generative AI take over some of this other stuff, 
why not actually enhance the experience and say, well, before we used to spend three months and at the end of the three months, we had an online course that people could click through and that was it. Fine. What if we still said, well, now we're still going to target three months, but now that three months, yeah, we'll knock that course part out in two weeks and get that in front of people. But then we'll also create other opportunities for people to connect, to problem solve, to apply, to get feedback, like all these other mm -hmm. things that before, if you'd said, can you do that in three months? We'd go, I mean, there's just no way humanly possible we could. So I think that's where when it comes to differentiating, it's not about just doing the same thing faster. It's about saying, how can we actually deliver? And I just think that's good product management. How do we deliver yeah. a better product as a result of this, not just shove more into the market? And I think that's probably can also be the definition of efficiency, can't it? Because, right, you know, we say efficiency and I think we naturally all jump to, great, I can do twice as much in the same time. Right. But actually, it doesn't need to be that efficiency is speeding everything up and be actually I can get part of it done, granted faster, but it's making me more efficient in delivering a better experience so actually the overall efficiency isn't necessarily about time saving it's about output and no. what you get from it um and i think yeah that'd be that'd be a huge differentiator for, for companies oh, who don't huge. yeah i feel like companies who don't view it that way and are just going to use it to save time short term probably gets benefit longer term it's just going to it's a, it's a very quick flash in the pan the efficiency yeah. gain is in and out, and then you're right back to where you were. But honestly, in a lot of the advisory work I do, that's the number one area that I work with companies on is like helping them figure out what are the things that you're not doing today? Where are the opportunities that you're leaving on the mm -hmm. table right now? And a lot of times that's just not how people are thinking about it. They're like, well, I was just thinking about how we could speed things up or how we could do it with less headcount. And I was like, well, that's one way we could think about it, but that's not sustainable. If we actually think about what more could we do with the existing headcount or how could we really differentiate ourselves in the market? Suddenly it opens up opportunities that, I mean, people just had never considered. Absolutely. Um, it's really exciting. And I'm, I'm kind of curious to see where that goes. It just it start, starts to make me think, especially around the efficiency side of things and how, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a shame people are thinking that, that short term, I guess, way of thinking. But on the plus side, I guess that's why you're there <laughs> to coach them through that and take them through the next steps. I'm just, I was just having to think about um, your podcast. You're the host of the Future Focused podcast. And one of the yep. things I just want to check in on there around the technology, because I guess touching upon the advisor side, part of that podcast, I assume that's exactly kind of what you're looking at is talking about the latest tech and innovations. Yeah. We talked about ChatGPT and predictive AI and generative AI. Do you use anything such as predictive AI, like machine learning, deep learning? Do you use any other forms of AI at all? Um, the reason I say that cloud apps yeah. is, uh, so we do like sales predictions and performance, so coaching and things like that through behaviors that's picked up through CRM systems. Yeah. And I'm just curious to see, because I have conversations every day and People jump to Gen AI as, as AI, as we chatted about before this. And um, I'm just curious to see what else people are using as well. So there's actually one of the ones that I thought was most interesting. I had a guest on recently, Stephen Wasik. He's a guy out of Stanford, and um, he specialized in analytics. And I just did an episode with him on this. And we talked about the fact that 
when it comes to analytics, generative AI is actually not really ideal for it because yeah. it's one of those, it can do everything, but there's so much of the black box. You actually, it's very hard to fine tune. And I think anybody that's used chat GPT can probably relate to this experience where it does something and you're like, nailed it. But then if you try to get it to replicate that same thing, you're like, well, what the heck? Like, why isn't it? It's not doing what I asked it to do. And you really have no way of knowing why, because the black box is taking yeah. all these different parameters and you can't quite fine tune it and know exactly what it is. So no matter what you put through, the product that comes out the other side is very different. And I can't remember the way they're, the way they're doing deep learning and AI to apply this, but they're taking a very different approach than generative AI, where it is much more, it has some of the power of generative AI, but it's much more governed, where they've mm -hmm. built in governance and tweaks, which again, when you think about analytics, you kind of don't want to say, hey, tell me what our financial predictions are for next quarter. And it gives you something. And then you try and run the same report the quarter after. And you're like, well, that's not even remotely close to how it did it before. So they're really um, doing what I would say is almost uh, the next generation, I think, of generative AI. Generative AI is great for like broad spectrum. You know, you just need kind of a general separating the wheat from the chaff. But that fine tuning, um, that's where I'm seeing more and more technology start to spin up different flavors of it that actually aren't using large language models. Yeah. And I mean, it completely makes make sense to us. What we, one things we look at, um, and actually probably one of the most important parts of our tech we talk about is the explainability because yes, we run stuff through our AI system and, you know, it'll come out with like a forecast, like you said, this is where you can end on the quarter. But the reality is that might sound great, but if people, if you can't explain why, <laughs> what's the point? Because no. you can't action it or actually like, crap, I'm 300k behind. Or... That's the other thing. You can't defend yeah. it. Here's the conclusion we came to. How'd you come to that conclusion? Uh, our AI model said so. Like, based on what? Yeah, And that's yeah. where large, large language models, they do kind of break apart because even though they've gotten a little better, I mean, again, anybody who's played with it, ask, you know, Gemini or ChatGPT, how did you come to that conclusion? And then actually fact check its response. I mean, I've done it and you're like, nah, this, you got this answer from this article or these two things. I just went and read those two articles. It doesn't say that in there anywhere. You're pulling in other sources. And I think that's where people yeah. say, oh, it hallucinates. And I'm like, it's not hallucinating. It's just pulling something from some random source. And it's not, it's just not connecting the dots as to, well, where did you get that from? Yeah. And I, I often ask it to, it's funny because you, you talked about this actually on Friday, I literally had this problem where I was asking it something, trying to get an output, which I've done in the past. And yeah. I was going through, I felt like a loop, like just going around in circles, changing the way I asked it. I was trying to think back to how I'd, I'd done it in the past and I'd probably done quite detailed prompts. So I went through all that again. And I just couldn't get, <laughs> couldn't get the answer that I needed or like the output that I needed it to do. It kept doing it in weird formats and things. And then when I got enough stuff that I was happy with, I actually asked for references because it provides them if you ask it. And I thought, great. Yep. But then I was like, 
I'm going to check the links for these. And I'd say probably about eight out of 10 of the links were broken. They weren't even just not in there. They just didn't exist. (laughs) I was like, "Ah." well, and this goes back to, this goes back to why I get very concerned with where we're going with things because we're moving so fast that how many people are actually going back and checking the references? Probably not very many. So there's people that are generating content, you know, generating white papers, generating all this stuff. And they're like, well, I mean, it's based on the facts and I have a nice reference list. And you're like, yeah, but did you actually look at the references that it did? And like you said, I would say more often than not, when I fact check it, I mean, there's literally, as a funny example of this, I had this happen last week where I literally gave it a transcript and was asking detailed questions about the transcript And the answers it was giving me, I'm like, I just had this conversation. I'm pretty sure I know what was said in this conversation. And I'm like arguing with it. I'm like, that is not actually, that was never said. That was never discussed. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, type. And again, you're like, well, where are you pulling this from? I asked you specifically to narrowly focus on the transcript. It does not do a good job at that fine tuning. And I'm seeing people try to fine tune generative AI, but I actually think, um, we're going to need to see some different forms of AI come into the market to really get to that fine tuning and dialing in. So do you think there'll be, instead of a, con- so one thing I'm seeing with the AI market at the moment, there's consolidation of certain industry areas within it. So you'll, you'd have original kind of niche functions, um, which suddenly seem to be merging because they, we're getting some single tools that can do everything. Uh, do you think that we'll start to see that kind of, I guess, convergence of, of tools and then we'll actually see them split out again into specific use cases, um, just based on what you're saying there? So I think it's going to follow a trend that I see in the workplace technology space. So mm-hmm. I've been following workplace technology for decades. And you always hear the extremes. Oh, everything's going to consolidate into the one app for all. And you're like, no, it's not because certain things just can't be consolidated. So I think you're going to see a convergence of things that make sense to converge where you start Mm -hmm. to go, are we really differentiating? Is there really a need to differentiate here when we're just asking for that 80%? Probably not. And I think that's where you're going to see those tools consolidate. But I do think we're actually going to, one, see new generations of artificial intelligence come out that are more specialized. And I actually think those are going to grow. And I've actually talked to a lot of startup companies and founders on that actually would be where I would bet my money is look at those areas where you go, whatever this market is, it's hyper-specialized. It doesn't have the room for error and figure out how to crack that nut, it will come and we will see that diversity of tools. And those will be functional. They'll be based on business segments and things like that. They will be targeted very specific problems. Yeah. I think that makes complete sense. It's a problem that can't be be solved by typing a search, (laughs) a search query in or something too No, I mean, just like in HR tech. Yeah. In HR tech, people are like, wouldn't it be great if we had an HCM that did everything? And you're like, no, actually it wouldn't. That's like telling somebody, wouldn't it be great if your iPhone only had one app? No, I would hate it if I had one app that I had to do everything because there's specific things that I know I need to do. And I want an app that specializes in that. Now there's some things 
that I'm fine with a more general app, you know, a browser. Yeah. Fine. But if I'm trying to do a specific thing, I want to be in my Canva app when I'm creating a YouTube thumbnail. I don't want to go to chat GPT and be like, Hey, can you try and generate a thumbnail? And you're like, well, that's garbage. Like that's not what I want at all type (laughs) of a thing. Yeah. No, I still struggle with the, the imagery creation, uh, quite a lot. Um, yep. I think that's a really good comparison because the app, app market and the way that developed um and actually james Poulter, who was on talked a little bit about that he's, he talked about how there's an explosion of apps uh when probably the iphone came out and then after that there's probably a period of time where we just saw it absolutely explode to the, and they were trying all the features and try to utilize stuff um within that that was completely redundant and we are seeing kind of there's some key apps for certain things now there's still competition though and yep. I feel like probably yep. consolidated down. And now it's, again, like you said, one app for everything. You know it wouldn't do it as well as key areas. No. Also, how do you find it all? Uh, just practicalities of things. But again, today I'm actually, I probably would quite like to take half the apps off my phone that I've just left there. Um, but right. I definitely think it's a, a good way of comparing where the AI market is. It's probably that start of, starting off period where, I mean, there's a lot of AI tools out there at the moment doing specific yeah. things, but then we'll see the ones which actually solve problems and will stay in a probably well, and I think over time. If, if you think about the mobile phone analogy kind of sticking through, you know, there really are only any more two big OSs. You got Apple and Android. Yeah. I mean, you had Windows Phone, you had BlackBerry. I mean, you had some of these other ones and ultimately everybody kind of consolidated and went, well, you know, so... In that sense, did the mobile phone consolidate? Yes. You know, are there only maybe two or three panes of glass that people experience their mobile device through? Sure. But then within that, there still is a really diverse ecosystem that pops up. But even within that ecosystem, it's consolidated. I mean, there have been how many social media companies that have popped up and it was going to be the next big thing. Yeah. (laughs) And then it's like, well, it kind of like distills back and everybody's still using kind of the core. But if somebody were to say, you know, oh, Amazon and LinkedIn are going to merge, you'd be like, what? Like, n- no, I go to Amazon to do my shopping. I go to LinkedIn to do my, you wouldn't mix them. You'd want yeah, those yeah. to be two distinct different things. I think, yeah, that's a yeah really good way of visualizing it as well for, for thinking yeah. about how it's going to, how it's going to align. In terms of just going back to um, education. So you've obviously worked with a lot of kind of global organizations on uh, their learning environments and how they can change it at a, at a global scale. Do you think the AI can play any potential in closing the, the global skills gap in certain areas at all? Um, yes, and <laughs> it's going to depend on how business and learning leaders look at it. One of the biggest things I'm very outspoken about goes back to something we were talking about before. If we continue looking at AI in helping close the skill gap by generating more content and forcing it down people's throats, we're not going to do anything. You know, the clockwork orange thing of like, let's just make people consume more educational content and we'll close the skill gap. I've been saying for decades that is a failed path to take. What I think is 
unique though, where AI truly has the ability to completely transform and actually make a dent in what I think historically has just been an impossible gap to try and close is the fact that learning is far more complicated than people realize. And a lot of, and everybody thinks they know what it is because, oh, we all went to school and everybody's probably given a presentation. So everybody's like, I know what goes into it. But if you really understand the psychology and the neuroscience and human behavior is a very complicated thing. And unfortunately, because it's so complicated, historically, it is not scaled very well. And so for organizations, we've had to take the peanut butter spread carpet bomb approach of let's just cast the widest net and hope it works. We're just going to kind of dump something out there and that's it. And unfortunately, that's a crappy experience for most people because as a result, it's over most people's heads. And then the other people, they're like, this isn't even enough type of a thing. So you end up in this like, well, we didn't really solve anything for anybody. And it's extremely difficult to scale experiential learning where you go, I don't just want you to consume something. I want you to do something. Those are areas that AI is actually really, really, really good at doing because one, Mm -hmm. we can actually get to know each person. I can know Josh and Joshua's unique needs and the way he engages and where his gaps are and what information he doesn't have, what it thinks he does. And we can actually personalize a skill profile for Joshua and go, I actually know you need this, 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 and this, but you don't need this other crap. So let's just be laser focused on that and actually connect the dots. That actually gets people really excited about stuff because now they're like, I mean, who doesn't want to learn if they know it's actually personalized to them and actually is going to work for something? Okay, so that's great. But then the other thing is, is instead of just focusing on content generation, when I look at how generative AI is starting to connect with immersive tech, when I look at even what it can Mm. do in terms of you know, I was running experiments with this years ago where we would capture voice prints of people interacting with customers and using AI to identify skill gaps and say, hey, here's what you're not doing right. Here's what you could do differently. Yeah. That's experiential learning. People don't necessarily want to go sit in a class for three days to be dumped a bunch of content and then go back to work. They want to do their work and then get that learning in the flow of things. And I think that's where... AI can radically, radically change the way we've done things. But unfortunately, a lot of people are still looking at it through the lens of, oh, imagine how many more courses we can put in the LMS. That, oh, yeah. that is not <laughs> going to solve, that is not going to solve the skill crisis. No, um, and I completely agree. I think if you shove more and more content down it, the less and less people are going to digest it for a start because- Yep. There's a resistance to just all they'll find ways of just ticking the box to do it. Um, I think it's really interesting. And you you talk about the psychology and behavioral science behind it all. Um, I mean, this discussion's going on in the UK around school and education. And there's a lot of people who say it's quite a historical way of doing it based on kind of factory learning and education. That's not really right. And it's, I, I mean, I know some, some of the smartest people I know didn't do that very well at at school and they were smart in in other ways and probably experiential learning worked a lot better for them. So they've excelled in the careers that they've gone on to do. Yep. Um, But yeah, how do you scale that in school under a government unit? It's 
not practical from a financial point of view. It just wouldn't work. No, and that's why I don't, and that's why I don't fault the way that it's been done because it was like, well, what did we really, what other options did we have? People were doing the very yeah. best they could with the resources they had. And I think the recent years and the advancements in technology have actually opened the door to say, hey, we actually could do this differently. Now, the challenge yeah. is behavior change, which, I mean, how many people say, I really should get in shape and eat better, yet don't do it? And so I think now's that adage of, okay, well, are you actually going to get on the treadmill or are you going to just kind of go, I really, I really should work on Sit that? And that's you. still TBD. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, completely agree. And, you know, good time for people listening to this because, you know, come out of January uh, with all those promises and you might have kind of <laughs> finished it and be thinking, oh, I need that motivation. So hopefully it motivates you. Um, I think the technology, one thing that I just really like going back to your points on it is a lot of people say it needs to change, but don't have a route to fix it. And that's probably the pushback on it and why it doesn't go much further at the moment is, well, actually, there's not really a clear or easy route to fix it. But with AI, as you talk about, I think that the point that you made on the personalized learning experience is, I mean, we we do it to a degree with behavioral kind of science-led gamifying approach and CRMs and things, but it, it can go way beyond that with, you know, whether you've got Apple Vision Pro, everyone's talking about that at the moment, whether you've got VR, AR, different kind of hybrid ways of AI and, and experiences. Yeah. For me, I think that, that that will be revolutionary. And that feedback, instant feedback, is so much better. Yeah. And I prefer that anyway. And the thing with it is, so I'll give you a good use case of this where this went really well, because sometimes where people get really up in arms about it is, and this is a common threat for a lot of people, they look at this and go, well, am I going to have a job then? You know, is AI just going to take mm. all this over? And my answer to that is, of course they will, because of all the reasons we talked about. Somebody needs to oversee this. Somebody needs to be making critical decisions. And also, historically, we've been able to do this for like 0.01% of the employee population. If we can now do that for 99%, I mean, again, there's, there's more room in the ocean for us to swim around than I think people realize. But I mean, there's there's a lot of work ahead. There's a lot of work ahead for us to pull this off. And I think that's the part. But at GE, when I was at GE, this was, it's weird to think this was like seven years ago. We were trying to address skill gaps in customer salespeople and mm -hmm. very complicated situations because they were interacting with physicians who weren't super comfortable with technology, but you're interacting with them, trying to get them to understand how AI imaging is actually a good thing and all this other stuff. And so we were actually creating environmental sims where we could put you in with a physician and say, listen, we don't want you doing this live. We're going to put you in here. It's 10 minutes, but it's almost like a masterclass of like, go in and do it. And then yeah. we're going to tell you how you performed and you're going to see your how you performed. But then instead of just going, well, there you go, you're going to repeat and you're going to do this again. And our ability to close skill gaps in and measurably, that's the other thing. Usually learning is one of these things where business leaders are like, I mean, we do Tangible. a lot of training. I don't really know if it's doing anything. We were able to go back to the business and go, you invested this much. We moved these skills from here to here quantitatively and 
ultimately it's had this much in revenue of an impact. And that couldn't have been done without technology. I mean, it could have, but maybe only with like two people in the organization. Yeah, back to the efficiency point. <laughs> um, it's just that that's probably one of the huge enablers is scaling it. And I mean, that that is probably the language a lot of leaders talk as well. Well, I've got, you know, 101 different options um, that I could probably take this year. What's going to drive my revenue goal up? Because yep. that's what well, 99% of people are measured against ultimately is some form of doing that as well as customer experience as part of that. And, you know, make sure everyone has a good roof. But if you can prove that you're improving people and there's a tangible output to it, I think that's massive and huge. It's huge. And because of the efficiency gains with technology, you're going to bet on the wrong thing sometimes. I mean, that's going to happen. You're going to go, I think oh, yeah. if we close this skill gap, it's going to work. And you're going to do it and go, okay. Where before that was $2 million just lost. Now it's yeah. like, well, we only spent, you know, 30 grand on it and we can quickly pivot and shift over and go, let's actually try it over here. So I think our ability, which is especially important is the skills tenure, the half-life of skills is just eroding. So yeah. you don't have, you can't be like, well, we've got 10 years to build this skill in the organization. It's like, no, we've got nine months yeah. to do it. <laughs> and after that, it's irrelevant. So our need to actually do this faster is critical. I completely agree on that point. And skills are constantly learning, adapting, and there'll be something new coming out as well. So that pace of skill improvement is just going to have to probably increase and increase. Um, I mean, think about how many tech companies spent billions of dollars in building software developers. And overnight, yeah. generative AI, not that it eliminated the need, but all of a sudden it was like, oh, like the skill set we need is very different than what we've been spending so much money on. So that's the kind of risk you're playing with. Yeah. And I know some of the software developers I've worked with at the moment, they're like, they've actually adapted similar to data scientists, actually. Yep. They, yep. the ones who I think as well, long-term are going to just, you know, be invaluable to any business. They've suddenly exactly. adapted the way they work to, take away a lot of the noise of just basic stuff that I do because that's yep. gone because <laughs> they don't need yep. to do that and they're smart enough to do it and um, the other side of it then actually they can do stuff which makes the software a differentiator <laughs> which is yes. revenue exactly. but not just revenue it's actually that's how you get ahead in the market with product like growth and that's going to be absolutely huge I think that's a great example um, just Big conscious time, but there's this one more question, if that's all right, that I just want to ask, sure. which is what advice would you give an organization who are looking to maybe whether integrate AI or something similar into the learning and development initiatives that they're doing, um, or just can be more generic around AI uh, technology integration? I think my closing advice to people would be universal, whether you're looking at learning or just mm -hmm. integration of AI in general which is it may seem like you're slowing down, but it's slowing down to go fast. And what it is, is take the time to deconstruct the work and actually understand it. And not just so that you can reconfigure it with AI, but also we're moving into an age where 
we've never had to think really about, well, would a person do this or would a machine do this? And there's a lot of things we've just kind of taken for granted and said, well, people do that. We don't really know what they do. So just, you know, it'll get done. And now we actually have to challenge that. And so it's an uncomfortable area for a lot of people to actually go, well, okay, we have to deconstruct this work, but like we have to do it to a molecular level that we have mm -hmm. never had to do before. And I think it, again, it seems like we don't have time for that, but it's like, actually it's worth the time because you actually can break this down to the molecular level and then reconstruct it and go, hey, you know what? This is the part we can reconstruct with AI. This is the part we can reconstruct with people. Because I think the thing, other thing with that is going back to the learning part, then mm -hmm. you know what that blueprint is to help your employees make that jump. So I think of the example you gave of the software developers, you know, far more of them would be able to make that jump if somebody deconstructed the work and said, okay, in the future, we now have generative AI, you're not going to be spending your time doing this. So what we actually need you building your skills doing is these kinds of activities. So it's actually good for business and the employees you're with, which when you have happy employees as an organization, you just operate better in general. And so to me, it's yeah. this, we have the potential for everybody wins, but we actually have to take a deep breath and go, let's actually analyze this before we just are off to the races, buying a new app and implementing some new way of doing things. And then we haven't really thought it through. Yeah. And I again, completely agree. I've had a lot of conversations about AI strategy with purpose and purpose just feels like the word that's been, I've been <laughs> saying over and over again, because I'm not I completely agree in the sense of people panic, go out and buy AI to tick a box, not think, yep. why do I need it? Am I solving a problem? And it feels like there's, there's a mad rush on it at the moment. So completely good to yep. slow down, figure out why you need it. And like you've done, and you talked about earlier about breaking down all your processes, if you can map that out and then see where AI can enable it, like you said, then it's actually going to improve efficiency. And back to our conversation on efficiency, that can depend on what you need as business. Well, so. Exactly. And it's sustainable. Instead of going, boom, we had a flash in the pan for the next quarter, things are better. But now we're spending tens of millions of dollars trying to clean up a mess that we don't even understand what we made because it just is so different. Like now we actually can say, oh, we've actually made things better. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, I just want to say thanks a lot, Christopher, for coming on the show. It's been so interesting. Um, if anyone reaches out with any questions, I'll, I'll let you know, because I think we've covered so many really, really interesting topics. Um, if you're happy, I'll share a link to where you are on, on the description, things yep. like that as well. Sure. And I just, yeah, huge thank you. It's been really interesting. I probably could have kept talking about this for the next few days because <laughs> there's so many more yeah. questions and things. I've, it starts to spiral in my head as I chat about it, but I've really enjoyed for it. Sure. So yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. And hopefully this was helpful for everybody because I know everybody right now is struggling with trying to figure it out. And I've put in a lot of work to just try and help people make sense of it because it is confusing. Completely agree. Thanks a lot, Christopher. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Winning With AI. We hope to catch you every single Thursday on your favorite podcast channels on YouTube and the cloudapps.com slash podcast website. 
Now please like, follow, subscribe, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.